If you were here last Sunday, you heard that last Sunday's sermon and this Sunday's sermon um, are my attempt to prepare for two sermons that I'm going to preach on what used to be the Protestant hour. It's now called Day One, and I'm going to the studio to record these two sermons uh, next week. And they will be aired on 200 radio stations and on the web sometime in early September. And I'll let you know about that. Thank you for a practice run at this sermon that I'm working on again. Our passage today and last week uh, is from Matthew 18. Today's lesson starts uh, at verse um, 21. Let us open our hearts for God's word and let us listen. This is Jesus. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you know that an important part of my own life and work in ministry involves ministry with police officers. In recent years, this work involves a three-day conference held twice each year in the state of Virginia that seeks to provide encouragement and help and healing for police officers who have been involved in critical incidents, shooting, violent scenes, car wrecks, other type critical incidents. After worship today, I'm leaving for Ferrum College in southwest Virginia for another of these three-day conferences. We have more than 50 officers signed up from various critical incidents across Virginia. We also have officers coming from critical incidents in North Carolina and in Connecticut and in Oklahoma. I'm grateful for your support as I carry on in this ministry, and I appreciate your prayers in the coming days. 
to attend these seminars with police officers who've been involved in critical incidents is to swim in a big sea of complex thoughts and feelings, emotions, and actions that relate to real life and death and revenge and forgiveness. Here's an example. A police officer was killed in the line of duty and the murderer was on the loose. First, to have an officer killed in the line of duty is one of the most difficult things for a particular police department to deal with. Second, to have police searching desperately for one who killed a fellow officer is one of the most motivating and maddening pursuits that police have to handle. Tremendous grief and loss for a fellow officer and friend get mingled with fear as the search unfolds, which gets combined with the natural and intense desires for revenge, all of which can put effective police work in jeopardy. We are usually not at our best when these elements are coming together. Grief, fear, and desires for revenge. One officer, in a debriefing session that I will never forget, described it this way. I was riding around filled with hatred, just knowing I might be the one to come upon the killer. He had killed one of my best friends. It was going to feel good to find him and kill him. With the whole department out searching and on duty, I spent hours, even all night, searching for this criminal, certain that I would come upon him and shoot him. But as the hours passed, he continued, I realized how I was getting caught up in the rage and in the loss. I realized I was becoming, in my thinking and in my feelings, all that the killer was, a murderous, death-filled person. He said, I have to be more than that. I am more than that. I cannot be pulled into that. He says, I have to be the trained officer that I am called to protect and serve. I have so much admiration and respect for these police who have to deal with so much and continue to serve among us. In that case, the culprit was caught and not killed by police. There are obviously lingering issues, various emotions, sincere struggles with forgiveness and life after such a tragedy. But the way that officer described his own struggle demonstrates, I think, the struggle that all of us might find themselves, ourselves in. We all might find ourselves feeling similar. All of us often find ourselves swimming in a big sea of complex thoughts and feelings about revenge and forgiveness, emotions and actions that get complicated. Lots of challenges and hurts can pull us away from our very best selves. Lots of 
emotions and feelings can carry us a long way from where God calls us to be. Someone once said that there are probably only about seven or eight themes for any particular sermon. They're always going to fall into one of seven or eight themes. And if that is true, then forgiveness has to be one of those themes because we all struggle with it. Jesus doesn't just speak often about it. Jesus speaks about it as strongly as anything else he says. Forgiveness is at the very center of the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is central to so many parables and stories that Jesus shares. Forgiveness is a primary theme in every book of this Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it is the subject of this passage in Matthew 18. In this particular chapter, Matthew 18, Jesus has been teaching about how to deal with people. How do you deal with one another in Christian community? And he has just given instruction, and that was the passage last week, about what to do when you need to confront someone. You go and you confront them in humility and love, striving for community and striving for restoration. And then Peter asked Jesus a pointed question. So, if someone sins against me, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? It's beautiful that Peter appreciates the importance of forgiveness. He knows it's critical to faithful life. Indeed, forgiving seven times sounds quite extravagant from what we know about human interactions. Surely that's enough, he's asking. Enough faith, enough love, enough forgiveness to please God? Jesus says no. Not seven times, but 77 times, which is a way of saying forgiveness is absolutely essential to faithful life and even calculating it, trying to find an end to it, is out of bounds for faithful people. Forgiveness is meant to be our way of life. It's meant to exemplify us, typify our living as disciples. Disciples, according to Jesus, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. This is Jesus' strong and continuous message. Here's the deal. Most of us accept the premise uh, that this is supremely important to Jesus That Christians should forgive. Most of us know that forgiveness is an important attribute in the realm of God that we're seeking and working for. What we struggle with is how to practice it. How to practice it. How do we move from where we are, where we might find ourselves much of the time, hurt, angry, victimized, abused, left, alienated to where we say, I am more than that. I have to be more than that. God calls me and all of us to more than that. How do we get our minds and hearts from thoughts of anger and hurt and revenge to sincere forgiveness like Jesus is asking from our hearts? That's what Jesus wants from us, forgiveness from our hearts. In order to move us 
motivate us, inspire us from where we often find ourselves hurt and angry and alienated and victimized to where we're called to live as forgiving people. Jesus tells a great story about a king and a slave. And the story is so filled with exaggerated circumstances simply to make the point. Could a king be so extremely generous in forgiving such a massive debt from a lowly slave? Well, the point is clear. That is how much God forgives us. Massively, extravagantly. Could a slave, forgiven so extravagantly, then be so harsh with a fellow slave who had meager debt? Could someone actually walk out of the king's highway, of the king's palace, on a road paved with freedom and grace, and then act with such cruelty, grabbing somebody by the neck and saying, pay what you owe? Could it be true? Well, the hyperbole makes the point. In fact, this is how we often live. This is how we often live when we do not forgive. So there are two tools here that Jesus is using to motivate us. There is grateful response. God forgives so much, we're called to forgive. Forgiveness intends forgiveness. Goodness leads to goodness. Grace intends to evoke gratitude and then more grace. But it doesn't always happen like that. So there's another motivator punishment. When the slave fails to respond to the generous forgiveness, there's the threat of suffering and more, torture even. Quote, so my father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive. So which motivator speaks most to you? Grateful response or punishment? Some of us are motivated by positive news that calls forth our very best. Jesus' story, we've been given immense grace and we're to be gracious just like the king. And then some of us seem to be motivated maybe more by fear and punishment. Look, forgiveness is so central to life and if we like the idea but fail to implement it, forgiveness into our hearts and into our lives, well, we're a long way from the kingdom of God. In fact, we are promised torture and suffering. And that appears in many forms, that torture and suffering when we can't forgive. Jesus wants to motivate us, motivate us as faithful disciples so that our lives actually practice forgiveness. Not sometimes, not even seven times, but 77 times, which means always and endlessly and forever. What Jesus wants is forgiveness from our hearts not ideas like well I can forgive but I can never forget that's not forgiveness from the heart is it not sometimes but all the time or not when we like to hear ourselves saying I know I'm supposed to love him but I don't have to like him that's not forgiveness from our hearts is it perhaps we might find our way toward real forgiveness from the heart in this way. First, always we have to remember the context in which we live. Remember 
the context in which we live. Remember that we belong to God in all moments, all our days, forever. God's love covers us. God's grace and forgiveness hold us as with the slave in the story. That intends to form the backdrop of everything about our lives. We remember that. We remember all that God gives and we remember that what Jesus expects of us. Forgiveness is our way of life. We are to forgive 77 times without calculating or establishing some end to forgiveness. Yale theologian Miroslav Wolf, who has written extensively about forgiveness, calls this remembering rightly. Remembering rightly. What we tend to remember is the wrong that was done to us. What we tend to remember is the hurt that we feel or the way we were victimized or betrayed. And that takes forefront in our lives. We tend to remember how we were victims of the wrongs done to us. And when we remember only those things, we start signing on to the world. And the world's ways, not God and God's ways. When we remember only the evil that was done to us or the burdens that we carry, we move not toward redemption and wholeness, and discipleship, we participate not in the emerging reign of God, but in the struggling world that Jesus came to redeem. I'm trying to listen to Jesus in this passage, and I think he calls us to another kind of remembering. The larger realm of God in which we live, the grace that covers us and sustains us, forgiven so extravagantly, loved so abundantly, we're to be people who love and forgive. This is not just a good idea. It's the way to life. When we remember the larger context of God's care and forgiveness and love, we have a better chance of living as forgiving people. Second, we have to work at changing our thinking and changing how we feel. When the police officer I told you about recognized how he was sinking into a revengeful murderous approach to life as he pursued his friend's killer, he said, I am better than this. I'm better than this. When we find ourselves betrayed and angry and hurt and abused, our tendency is to react, not respond. We tend to be full of vengeance and aggression and instead of forgiveness, we hold grudges and instead of living with grace, we plot and plan and pursue. Jesus encourages us not just react with aggressive thoughts and murderous plans and negative feelings. Jesus encourages us to respond in another way. In a way that's going to change the moral fabric of our culture. In a way that's going to uh, redeem the world and bring about God's reign. Break the cycle of evil and hatred with love and forgiveness. Jesus is encouraging us in another moral fabric The cycle of revenge and abuse is broken by new thoughts and new feelings that actually free us to live toward the heart of God. I'm reminded of that old saying about anger and hatred. To nurture our anger and hatred is like drinking a poison and then hoping the other person is going to die from it. 
all it does is affect us, kill us, consume us, separate us from God, separate us from one another. Seventy-seven times, says Jesus, we forgive and forgive and forgive. And that doesn't mean to forgive means that we condone what happened to us. To forgive doesn't mean that we acquiesce or we deny justice. To forgive means to refuse to let what happened to us destroy us and alienate alienate us from God and from one another. It demands hard work and it demands vigilance, but it's the way to life and it's the way to discipleship and it's the way to God. Jesus says, forgive from your hearts. That means to remember rightly. Our lives are always lived in a larger realm, held by God's care and peace and purposes. And that means to keep working on our thinking and our feeling so that they don't drag us so far away from God toward revenge and hurt and away from the future that forgiveness offers a future of light and peace and joy and hope that's meant to cover the earth. May we move that way in God's power and spirit. Today, tomorrow, always. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to stand and serve you, loving and forgiving. That is to abide forever. Amen.